morning from Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Ariel Berger has written a book entitled Witness Lessons from the Classroom of Elie Wiesel. In it, he tells the story of a young man who had applied to a Jewish seminary. It was time for his admittance interview. When he walked into the room, there was a rabbi there to interview him, and the rabbi asked him, how did he get to campus? He said he walked and told him his address. And the rabbi doing the interview said, well, tell me, did you see the woman on 96th Street? She usually has a little sign asking for help. He said, I, I didn't notice her. He said, how about when you crossed 117th? Did you see the man standing there? He's a veteran. He usually has on a ball cap that says USA. He said, no, I don't think I saw him. How about just before you came through the gates and campus? Did you see the man standing there, long gray beard, usually hands in the air praying? And the young man said, once again, I don't think I saw him either. And the rabbi said, how do you presume to become a rabbi if you don't notice the people all around you? Who we notice and to whom we give attention makes a difference in our view of the world. Whom we listen to makes a difference in terms of how we perceive what's going on in the world and changes perhaps what matters to us. I've invited you to read a book with me this month, if you'd like to. It comes from the United Women of Faith reading list. I've put the title in the outline, Do All Lives Matter? The title asks, The Issues We Can No Longer Ignore and the solutions we all long for. Written by a white man and a black man who've worked together in Chicago for years, trying to provide better lives, especially for the poor, writing the book out of the response of frustration about all the violence and tension in our country. One of the stories they tell is of another man, a friend of theirs named Leroy. He's a black man. He's moved into the inner city of Atlanta. He had a potential donor coming to talk with him about helping fund the ministry. He asked his neighbor, who had also moved into the neighborhood, who was a white man, to go with him to the lunch. They went to the lunch. They made introductions. They sat down to eat. When the potential donor heard that the white man had moved into the neighborhood, he was fascinated. 
he began to ask him one question after another about his motivations and why he'd done such a thing. The whole rest of the lunch, Leroy said, the potential donor only talked to the neighbor, even though Leroy was the director of the ministry. He was so taken that this white man had moved into the inner city that at the end of the lunch, he got out his wallet and gave him cash. As you might imagine, Leroy was a little troubled by the whole experience. Wayne writes in the book, completely lost on this well-intentioned and kind-hearted donor was the fact that Leroy and his wife Donna had done exactly the same thing as his white colleague had done. Leroy, in recounting his story to Wayne, expressed his disappointment and hurt at receiving the message, unintended though it may have been, that his life and the life of his family didn't matter as much as the lives of his neighbors. I'm inviting us today to look for our blind spots, to look deeper at our lives, to see how we navigate the world. By their very nature, blind spots are hard to see. The authors write, discrimination has a subtle side the subtle side reveals its face, often unintentionally, when we don't notice the people around us. In effect, they become invisible, and to the extent that they go unheard and unnoticed, they get the message that their lives don't matter. Another story that I was struck by that the authors tell in the book was about a young surgeon just finished his residency, moved to Boston to be on the medical team at a major hospital. The first day he's in his scrubs, he's in the lunchroom eating by himself when a person comes up and says, now are you the new janitor? I've got a mess I need help in cleaning up. What's going on there? What stereotypes are at play that the assumption would be made because of the color of the skin that the person they didn't recognize that happened to be black was the janitor? He finished his lunch and went and scrubbed up, got garbed up to go into the next surgery he was scheduled for. As he walked into the room, one of the nurses said loud enough for everyone to hear, who is he and what does he think he's doing in here? Blind spots. Our blind spots can harm other people. When we haven't done our own homework, when we haven't looked within, if we haven't looked deeply at what's going on in our lives and in our culture, sometimes our blind spots, even though unintentional they may be, can hurt others. If you're labeled white and you have any friends who are people of color, 
And the statistics show that about 90% of us who are white don't really have any close friends that are people of color in the U.S. But if you do, have you asked them about their perspective on race in America? Have you asked them about their experiences in this place? For those of us from Oklahoma, we should be asking, I think, more about the tribes and our Native American citizens in this area, how they got here, how they've been treated since they have arrived here. The sad fact is pointed out in the book that our United States government has broken over 500 treaties with Native Americans, over 500 treaties broken? Does it perhaps send the message that somebody's life counts more than somebody else's, that somebody else's life is dispensable or at least diminished, if you will? When we live in the majority culture, sometimes it's hard to see the accrued benefits that we receive when we're white in this culture as we navigate through our lives. Jesus asked some hard questions in the Gospels. In chapter 7, he says, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Then he asks, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. I'm inviting us who live in the majority culture to look for our blind spots, to do more introspection, to think a little more deeply. I think Jesus invites us to look at that. The church has said in their order of worship, for years that first it's important when we come into the presence of God to do introspection and confession before we receive pardon, release, and reconciliation. It can be really hard to look personally or as a group at our past when we did not do our best, when we fell short when we hurt somebody else, whether we meant to or not, it is difficult to look for our blind spots. And yet our text from Genesis challenges us to look and to make sure that we see with the eyes of God that every created soul is very good in God's eyes, that all of us are made in the divine image and likeness and imprinted on every soul is God's blessing and God's image that all people are of sacred worth that all people have been blessed and given gifts and talents resources ways to make a contribution for the common good what would our world look like if we empowered all people to make 
their contribution. Jesus says in his parables, leave the 99 and go search for the one that is lost and in need. He says, love even those who have made bad decisions and squandered their resources. He says, go and love those who are overlooked and in need and respond to the need. In short, he says over and over again, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourselves. When we deal with these difficult issues We can cling to our faith. As Christians, we can act with love. We can be committed to living lives of passion, to treating every person we meet with dignity and respect, to be people that are trying to lift others up. We can treat each and every other person as a beloved child of God, worthy of being seen. I shared last week that I'll invite you into some action every week. I asked you last week to consider listening to a story of someone who's different than you. This week, I've made up little bookmarks or prayer ribbons, you might call them. They're on the counters. I've made enough for each of you to have one. You'll find printed on it the prayer of St. Francis. You'll remember that prayer probably invites us asking God to make us into an instrument of divine peace, an instrument in God's hands, if you will, so that where there is hatred, we might sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. And where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. And then the prayer ends like this. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned and it is in dying that we have been born to eternal life amen and thanks be to god